This week's show, again, sponsored by Hardee's and Robinson, where you can get your delicious hot ham and cheese on a bicycle through the drive-thru if you choose to. Uh, you can find us on Apple, iTunes, and Spotify. We got Andy Haynes with us this week, uh, hitting coach for the big league team in the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, Andy and I are longtime friends, went to the same college, grew up in the same area in Southern Illinois. And we started this hitting journey over 20 years ago after our average playing days were over. And I recall, Andy, that we taught our first hitting camp together in 1999 in the Robinson City Park. And, you know, that time when you're 21, 22, I guess we were probably 22, 23 at that time. Uh, you think you know a lot about a lot, and you, re you re realize looking back, you know little about little. But there's one thing I still recall this camp. That's a that's a lot of rum and coke since then. So I'm pretty proud of myself for this. And you're giving your hitting talk to the guys. You, you said Tony Gwynn mentioned, and you believed that the most important aspect of hitting was getting a good pitch to hit. 21 years later, that would be pitch selection. We'd say that. Do you still consider that your most important piece of hitting? I would, <clears throat> yes, I would say yes. Um, I would say that's way more relative for, you know, a player that has grown and has played more baseball, right? I mean, I think when you're younger, it's hard to say that. Depends on the skill set of the player because we all know it just, you know, as they grow, they, my son's just turned eight. So, you know, my focus isn't that with him. It's trying to get him really athletic and to move the right way and swing the bat. So, yes, I think especially what we're dealing with professional players, if they are not getting results, it's human nature. The first thing they go to is, is something breaking down. And if you go and show them what they're doing on pitches in the zone, they're still performing really, really well. Um, Why do you think that is, that professional hitters – Oftentimes, like if you rank what they value as most important, mechanics is always at the tail end of that. They don't want to talk mechanics. But yet when a player is scuffling, the first thing they want to go to is mechanics. Why do you think that is? Because I think it's human nature. We all want something that can fix it now and get us more gratification right now. Um, it's, it's hard to accept that there's, there's not this fix right now. It's, it's human nature. Um, you know, success and hitting, is, it takes so long to enjoy success, you know, in baseball. Like, it, you have a good game, and there's usually, you know, there's a couple of bats in there that don't go your way, and it's messy, and you can look up, and you're two for four with a home run and a double, but how you got there is not, it's not, you know, Disneyland. I say it all the time. It's messy. Um, so getting to success just takes time. They, it's just too easy to go to, how do I fix it right now? Um, Right on point. Got Willie Mays Haynes, my dog over here. Your in. dog's name is Willie Mays Haynes? <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> I got a couple other pieces here. And Travis, feel free to chime in and ask a question. I'm just kind of taking notes and asking questions as I go. Um, you, your job is way different than my job. It's way different than Travis's job. And it, it, it would speak to me as being very difficult as a major league hitting coach because there's no way – you ever are satisfied. And I think I've heard you say, you might have three people that are going really well, but you're spending your time racking your brain on the three guys that aren't. Great perspective. I tell the other staff all the time, man, like we win a game and 
you know, we're high-fiving and, and I enjoy it. I'm fired up. And then I think, oh, man, I got two guys that are in the tank. They had bad games. Um, so I have to kind of live in their world and, and think about them. And, I, you know, I just think that's how you do the job as the hitting guy because you're, you're trying to keep the pulse of every one of your hitters. So there's – I guess the way I put it one time to our staff, like a hitting coach can have some good nights. You never have a great night because rarely do you see every guy in the lineup, you know, have the night they want to have. Um, and then you got the game the next day just staring you down. You know, as soon as the game's over, it goes right away to who we facing tomorrow night. Um, you know, kind of what what's in front of us for tomorrow. And that's it's kind of like this sickness, though. You love it, too. It's just it's coming right back at you. Um, and that's, you know, it's a sickness. But I think that's why you love it. But there's no doubt you have some good nights. But it's tough to have a great night because you're thinking about your guys. There's a couple things that, like, the casual fan or baseball observer doesn't see. And that's those couple guys that are scuffling. You're probably out there two o'clock on the field. There's no cameras around. Nobody but the grounds crew is seeing you out there work. And one thing with the minor league guys that I do talk about a lot, is like, you think these guys, once they get to the big leagues and they're up on a pedestal that they no longer have the mental issues of dealing with failure. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, and I'm not going to, I'm not, we're not talking about player, uh, you know, any names here or like concrete examples, but I, I'm sure you've had a couple instances where like, where guys are just complete. I think of like the movie Tin Cup and Kevin Costner and uh, Cheech is telling him to put like tie his left shoe and put his chains from one pocket to the other. Has it ever gone that far where you're just like, Oh my God, this guy is so mentally gone right now. Yeah. I think the one thing I've learned major league players can, you know, the, the cage and the hitting coaches, um, we want to be like their sanctuary. So there's, there's times that's their area to be totally vulnerable and, you know, and nobody else sees them in those moments. So yeah, you, you do see it. I think you learn once they leave that area though, what's, what's so different between them and maybe a young minor league player is that you don't know how they feel when they play the game. Like I'm so impressed. I'm like, this guy is having a breakdown back here. And then he walks out the tunnel and he, he goes in and he's facing, um, you know, Kershaw, whoever, and, you know, has a great at bat, carrying himself with confidence. And you're like, I wish people that paid could see what this guy just put him through to go up and have that at bat right there. Um, you know, a young minor league player or an amateur player, you, you see how they feel sometimes, you know, you know, you can read them where, Big league players I've been around, that's what makes them so special is they'll be vulnerable. They'll have their meltdown in there. And I've told managers, they, they've asked about players, and I'm like, you know, I can't even tell you where I think a player is mentally. Like, it's not, I'm not a good evaluator of that because of, of how I see them at their worst. Um, you know, you're better off, you know, using your own eyes because how we see them as hitting coaches, like, way, way different for sure. Yeah. I, I think for young players to they look at these as we did as children, look at these guys as superhuman, but they, they don't see that vulnerability on TV. You know, that that's good for young hitters to like, even not professional hitters, young hitters to understand like games really hard. Yeah, it's for sure. Never been harder. And maybe we'll talk about that now. Hitting has never been harder. And for you, you even more so than me are a really old school coach. 
Um, but you've continued to learn. That's what's always impressed me about you as, as you, but I mean, you've been managing in minor leagues again, you've been coaching for over 20 years now, but some old school people in the game don't like the way the direction of the game, right or wrong, because we've put so much more of an emphasis on ISO and slug. And in my mind, it's because pitching has never been harder. And it's really hard when you're seeing specialists in the sixth inning that are already throwing fucking 96 to 98. Like, how are you going to string hits together? Like, what's your feel on that trend and just what you've seen in 15 years? No, it's, it's a really good topic. And, I mean, I, we could talk forever on it. But when you, when you think about what's happening, it's just trends in the game, man. Like, it's never one thing. So, you know, we, we say old school, new school, whatever. I'm just like – I'm of the, the school of like, what does the job take, right? To, to help your players and be successful. It's not about, if I'm in a cage at, at your baseball school or down here giving lessons, um, I'm gonna be in a way different environment than I am in my job, you know? And I think people just dig their heels in and say, well, this is who I am. When that's not fair to the players, you gotta be who your players need you to be um, in that environment. And that's just short-sighted. It's, the world of Twitter and being trendy. And that's so unfair to the players, man. You're that's shortchanging them. So I would balk at the old school, new school. Cause I'm like, I'm just of the school that I want to win, man. I want my players to be good. So, you know, me, me, you and I have done force plates. And I also at times have told a guy like get on top of the four seamer dude and just molly walk this thing. Like that's it. Do I, do I know he's not going to be on top of it? Yes. But that's what it takes. And they still go up and swing under it sometimes because the ball is spinning at 100, like with vertical rise, just letting it eat from a low release. So with that being said, you know, the, the name of the game is that if you look at a, the way the pitchers are using their stuff and the way they're pitching, it went from th – this is fascinating to me. I've said this on record a lot. We, we're reactionary, man. Like – we have to follow the trends of what pitchers are doing, right? So you think about guys in the 80s, talk to them about hitting. Um, what do they talk about? They faced a lot of four-seamers, man, and guys big 12-6 curveballs. They talk about getting on top, getting the head out a lot. That's what they had to do. That's what they had to think. Then what happened? Pitchers started adjusting. They threw a lot of sinkers, and the slider came into play. The curveball almost went away. And then we had Derek Jeter inside the ball really use your hands to counteract the ball bearing down on you. And what pitching do pitching and analytics are pretty prevalent. They said, Hey, the outs are actually up top. So guys started spinning the ball. That's also the nitro zone. So there's going to be more home runs hit. Cause if we know if you connect up here, you just, if you touch that ball in the big leagues, you, you know, they're banking on swing and miss um, the, the ground ball. There's no ground balls thrown up there. So, you know, there, there's all kinds of ways we could go with it, but that's just the, the way the game's being played. And I think hitting has not been aggressive enough counteracting what pitching is exposing hitters to in the big leagues. You and Andy talk about this for a second and see what his opinion is, but is this, there's more power arms in the game because of just training is better. Is it pitch design and tunneling? And Travis, I'm interested in your thoughts on that too. I mean, I think it's, I think it's both. I mean, again, you're, we're in a, we're in a showcase era where 
everybody coming out knows how hard everybody else in the country is throwing. So even at the high school level, like I see, I see more kids in high school throwing 90 than I've ever seen before. And that, and it literally every year becomes more and more, um, you know, one of the big conversations I have with those guys is like, you know, if you're looking to continue to go on, it's, you have to become an actual pitcher because there's so many guys that throw hard now. I mean, there's, there's no lack for arms. I mean, there's guys, there's guys that I know personally that are, you know, 97 plus that can't find a job because they're just not a good enough pitcher to hold those positions yet. Yeah. You, so you then, talk about that guys in our Academy. There's like a lefty six, eight dude throwing 98 to hundred. He doesn't have a job. I'm like, Jesus Christ. I mean, how hard yeah, is it to get a pitcher today? Well, so now, so now you take those and you say, Hey, we've got all these, we've got all these arms. Like you're, you're, everybody's throwing, everybody's throwing hard. And then you're taking and you're adding in our ability now to use technology, whether it's with Edgertronic or with Rapsodo or whatever, to, to actually be able to see spin and how spin's created and understand how to manipulate pressure on the ball to create movement in any plane that essentially a pitcher wants. And then taking and saying, hey, how do we now design this pitcher's repertoire to be able to feed what we essentially call tunneling now, which is being able to throw multiple pitches through the same tunnel and have them do different things, which makes it again, more difficult for a hitter. So now you're getting guys that not only can run and spin four seam up at the top of the zone, but they can still sink balls down in the zone and they, they've got a slider and a curveball, and maybe even like a, a mid version of one of those. So they can manipulate their vertical and horizontal break. Like I, I say all the time too, like I've, I don't know how anybody hits like it's in my mind because like Andy said, like it is so pitcher dominated because they create, they create the scenario and the hitter simply has to react. And then, you know, I talked to in my, my question I kind of had for Andy was, you know, I've had a lot of college kids in this week cause they're still on their break before they head back. And like, in my mind, as I'm going through stuff with them, as I'm trying to talk them through things like, there's certain points where they're like, you know, they're coming in and they're saying, Hey, I'm, I'm here because, you know, I feel like I didn't hit the way I wanted to in the fall. And, you know, you see certain swing flaws in them, whether it's, you know, back path or whatever it ends up being. And you sit and talk to them about that and you see them get frustrated. I can see them as they try to make little adjustments to something that doesn't feel completely theirs yet. And I see them struggle a little bit and, finding the right, the right mix of like, when do I keep kind of like moving this topic along with them? Like, how do we, how do we maybe change the thought of the way they're thinking of it? Or do I just back off because they just need more, either more time. Like they just, they just need another two weeks of doing the same thing without changing anything. Cause they just need time or pushing too far to where the point, like they just almost want to just like bail from what's going on. So like, you know, how do you, how do you manage that while you're going with those hitters of like when to kind of interject, when to hold back, when to just wait for them to come to you? Like, I mean, that to me, that, that seems like, you know, the hardest part of doing is like kind of knowing when to push and when not to push. Yeah. Travis, that's like the wheelhouse right now of, for me, uh, guys that can like make an impact and coach. It's what you're fighting for every day, man. And I think, it's hard for, for coaches because of, you know, we have these um, settings. 
like baseball schools that are, you know, clean environments. And there, there's not enough experience in what a season is and what that entails and how long it takes to get to success. So I fight for it every day, man, the timing of it. And, and I think it's, it's sometimes less is more as a young coach. I, I talked a lot and too much. And as I've grown as a coach, I'm always coaching in my mind and I'm not speaking as much. I'm in the weeds and I'm waiting and I'm, you, I'm trying to pique their interest. So they crave more. The player has to crave more. And then you have to give them evidence too. You have to have facts for them if you're going to speak to them. So, you know, you can't just say, Hey, you're fine. Stay with it. They're going to look at you like that. You're guessing like, I'm not fine, dude. Like, so you have to have evidence of, Hey, this is what you're doing. You've done it when you're really going really well. Um, you know, and you, you have to show them. I have to show them information. I have to prove it to them every time. You know, I have to have video for them. Now I'm, I have more information to show them, right? Of, hey, here's the underlying information. It's exactly the same. You've had horrible luck for four days. And if you do this, dude, you're going to create some problems you don't want that aren't necessary. So for a younger coach, it's probably more challenging. But I think educating our guys, I'm, I'm going to give you guys a great example of it really registered with me last year on some guys in baseball. If you have a good night, right. Offensively, you can go one for three with a walk, and maybe a double do that all year. You're one of the best players in, in baseball, but in the world they live in, you know, when you read that after the game because of Twitter today, it's that they read all the negativity of the two bad at bats. This guy looks lost. He's horrible. What's he doing? It, you know, it's, it's, it's 66% negativity and 30%. Oh yeah. He hit a double. And what, think about what old, the older players went through. That didn't happen. They had a good game. They read it in the paper next day. So-and-so was one for three with a double, had a big hit for his team. And now it's like, it's, it's only focused on so much of the negativity of what they go through. It's just magnified. Um, I think it's fascinating. And that's our job with players is to educate them on, what this looks like, what's, and define success, Travis, like this is success, dude. Like it comes in spurts. The line looks like it's not straight, right? It's like all zigzag. And then you just got to keep it going up. Um, constantly doing that. Even with major league players, people would be surprised to hear that, but I'm constantly having those conversations. And on you too, right? Like team has a bad game. I, I've certainly got it on my end. I, I, we, we joke about it as a staff a lot of some of the, because several of my staff members have access to my Twitter and we'll joke about some of the comments that are on there that come through. Like, my God, people are just so angry. Now there's the, the, to me, there's a difference between the passionate fan and I'm all for the passionate fan because that's what drives our industry. Yeah. Yeah. And just like the angry, salty dude that just wants something to bitch about. And you know, you get a little bit of both of that. And those are usually the funniest ones. Yeah. Well, I can tell you my first year in the big leagues, couple of the, the Cubs guys were in the cage and they told me, they said, Hey, a couple of first to-do lists is like, you probably gotta get off Twitter. And I'm like, what? Like, oh yeah, dude, it's a bad place, man. I'm like, what? And now I've learned, I don't look because, you know, some of the best advice you can get is unless it's somebody that you want advice from, like they, they don't have a say. And, you know, I, I don't respect their opinion just because simply it's, I don't know them and they don't know me and they have no idea that, what I'm going through, I, 
I appreciate the fans. I think you want them invested, but yeah, I mean, Twitter is, uh, it's a lot of people that, you know, have this license to speak on stuff they're not educated on, you know, they don't have any background on. So, and they're angry. Yeah. We, we've mentioned that on several episodes here. It's, it seems like we're beating a dead horse, but it's just not baseball. I mean, every sport goes through that. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's life right now for some reason. Yeah. The keyboard warriors that are passively aggressive and from running a business, I always used to, to joke in the office when I'd get, usually those were emails. And so I'd send you a passive aggressive email and I'd, I'd say, never respond. I'm going to pick up the phone and call this person because they're always going to have a much different tone. You can't do that on social media. I mean, you can chime back, but that doesn't help. This no, I think the, the only thing I would say is this gets brought to me and I'll leave it at this is like, it's simple because I don't live my life that way. I'm not gonna let my kids live their life that way. I tell my players like, you're not living that way. Let them live that way and move on. Simple for me. Yeah. So Andy, real quick, I want to kind of circle back to the um, pitching. Obviously, the ability to create a scenario, and with with pitchers throwing harder, and with pitchers having analytics of what hitters can and can't do. You know how how do we as as hitting people? How do we get hitters back into ability to either have a better mindset of what they're they're looking for knowing that they're getting a lot of nasty stuff coming from these guys or how to combat you know the pitcher's ability to control the scenario so what what do the hitters need to do to take back advantage of the situation yeah um again this is awesome man i could talk about this uh all day but I think you like separating practice from the game is paramount for players. All right. So picture this, you guys to deal with this. I deal with it. So one challenge for even major league players is during practice, like what is practice? Like define that, right? It's you're trying to make improvements. I'm not competing. Like what is success in practice? Really defining what we're trying to accomplish. And stay with me on this because now you can go to like, I'm separating that from the game. So a lot of players want to practice during the game and they want to compete during practice. Like so obvious they're, they're frustrated during practice, like, ah, and they're having a meltdown. I'm like, I'm like, wait a minute. And then in the game, they want to come in and analyze and do these things, but they're, they're hesitant during the practice to really sell out and over-exaggerate a movement or make an adjustment. So I'm constantly having those conversations like during the game of, dude, like the, the reactionary event thing is fascinating, how the nervous system works, right? And, and being a cheetah and on autopilot, you know? And it putting me in that mindset in the game of, you know, when you leave the on-deck circle, what does my team need? Like, what, what is the game demanding right here? Like, what, what do I need to do? So it, I'll, I'll give you the example in the big league game. Like, the, there's some starting pitchers that will sink the ball, you know, and move the game along. Not very many. Most guys from, from Jump Street are pitching for a strikeout. I joke. I'm like, the first pitch of the game, like, oh, it's shocker. 0-2 curveball, start the game. Oh, oh. like, it's different. They want to strike you out, man. Like they, they're pitching for a strikeout. They, their ground ball rate is 15%. Like guys don't 
hit ground balls. I'm like, so this, how's this guy succeed? He gets a mile high pop-up, gets tons of swing and miss under the ball, right? Or that's it. Like he's trying to strike you. If he can't strike you out, how does he get you out? This is a four scene guy, obviously. And they're like, yeah. So I'm like, what is demanded you to do? If you, if you get the barrel of this ball, where's it going? Like it's a homer. Now that's a major league hitter. So this is the conversations we have of it's not how I feel. What do I have to do here? This is a game, bro. Like what is the game demanding? What does your team need? And if you, we got to sell out to that because pitchers and the analytics are selling out to what's given them success. So as hitters, we have to understand it's not about what I look like. It's, it's messy. Stoney and I used to talk about the front leg. We were fascinated with that. Like, Man, it's like flexed out, bought himself time. It looked ridiculous, but he was off time and doubling the gap, right? Like we don't practice that enough, first of all. But I think that the, the gist of it, Travis, is if we can give that mentality to our players of, are you in like skill development mode? This goes for pitchers too, man. It drives me nuts. I'm like, you see all kinds of guys, like you said, that are, are talking about their spin rate and they got a they got a nine ERA, <laughs> you know. I'm like, bro, the only reason you're trying to develop skills is to use that to perform and be great, right? Like that's the goal of that. <laughs> so same with the hitter, we can measure everything, and I love it, and I think we can help players if we can convince them, like, dude, the the reason you are doing that is to be an unbelievable baseball player, like. The, the money ball thing. My, my favorite line from a movie. This, this all happened because, you know, scouting and Billy Bean was in the room in that movie and guys were talking about how great this guy is. And Billy Bean says, when's he going to play good then? It's the same thing we're dealing with right now. Right. It's like when he's going to play good. So I think just educating players and then the college player, Travis, for instance, how those head coaches think like major league managers. Just help me win or not, man. End of conversation. That's the only thing on their brain. Can the guy help me win a game or not? And I think that's where we go with it. I got, one more, I got one more follow-up real quick, just because this, this, this one goes out to the, the hitters that, you know, we have here that I have conversations with, you know, on a weekly basis when they are in or whatever else like that. And because of the showcase era, again, that we're in, every one of these kids comes in and just chases exit speed. And we all know that exit speed plays, but also exit speed comes with body maturity and having a bigger bat and everything else like that, that contributes to that speed. How often, how often do big league hitters talk about wanting more exit speed? Like, are they, are they up there going, Hey, I need more exit speed. Or are they, are they up there going, Hey, I just need to touch this ball. Like if I touch the ball, I can do what I need to do. Cause I feel like so many young hitters aren't, good game hitters because they at, at a young age when their body is not even ready to necessarily hit a ball that hard without being out of control they just keep chasing speed and they don't chase the ability to actually barrel a baseball well so like do big league hitters sit up there and go man i need andy i need i need three more miles an hour of exit speed so i'm gonna go harder this week to get more speed is that something that they even think about no uh, the only time i hear it said is when a guy looks up it's on the board and they're like, oh, sick, 109, I'm out. Go sit in the truck. They said 109, I'm out. Because the other part of this is 
there, there's your two things. Your part was one of the first one that had that on the scoreboard, Travis. Who's that? Who they was? Had, your park, Miller Park, oh. was one of the first ones that had exit velocity and launch angle on the scoreboard every every year. See, I, see, you called me old school. See how progressive I am? <laughs> I got uh, But I think um, Travis is like, no, they, they don't. And, and my whole point is this whole thing for players, how we can help this generation of players is it's not this – I've been on record saying this, Saucy. It's not like a zero-sum game with coaches. Like, yeah, like I'm into the tech and I'm into this or I'm not. It's short-sighted, you know. I, it takes everything sometimes to help players. And and the, there's unintended consequences to the analytics and the technology. So if if we're only talking about exit velocity, well, what's some unintended consequences of that? Like, the guy cheats to get to it. He has no barrel accuracy ever. Um, you know, he's just at mercy of all the different parts of the zone. Um, that's unintended consequence. Good, good players like the high level ones. Like you shouldn't be spending 90% of your time on exit velocity and these metrics they don't need. They're already elite at that. That's not something that they need. If a player is not athletic and not talented and he's lacking and he needs skill development, then that's what the player needs, man, to be good. So that's, that's where you go with him. It's like a pitcher throwing 82, telling the guys going to pitch in the big leagues. It's like, bro, you're not going to get drafted. You have zero chance. Like you could go 20 and 0 and they, they might give you a chance to pitch a year, but it's not happening. Right. So where do we go? You, Good for you. You're performing, but if you want to pitch for a long time, this is something we got to address. So, you know, for me, it's, it's what rewards them uh, is, is so big in their world, like how they're going to get rewarded. And it's, I think you teach them like, this is what, you know, the college coach wants and the best ones. Once, once you get the skill development and I can talk about this all morning. I love this stuff because my kids are, growing but once you accomplish this skill development where you have the base like just being a great competitor that's the win in today's game being a great what does that entail you have to be able to fight through adversity you have to be able to handle success handle the failures be at your best as much as you can be at your best and that's this unintended consequence of and and we're in the middle of it right i mean you know, Justin and I have talked. Travis, you're in the middle of it. We're the ones all fired up about the tech because we never had it. And we were like kids in candy stores, you know, like learning this stuff and implementing it. But now it's it's become so prevalent that it's like, okay, what are we missing? Um, and that is like being a great competitor, man. Like I had a Legion ball coach who, you know, old, a little bit crusty and got on you and you know, made fun of you if you were a great competitor. It was such an honor to play there. And the older guys were on you. And the kids miss that these days. And that's still really important to, to get the, the best version of themselves. No, no question. I don't know if I answered your question, Travis, but I think. It, it does. Uh, and that kind of segues into, into mine that I, I think was good. You were talking about that, that competition. And part of my job is to also evaluate, right? So people eventually for the, for the draft upcoming. 
And although as hitting coaches, we're searching for, for, for perfection, we know that that just is rare if ever. So I definitely analyze mechanics on what their A swing looks like, but I also dig into a lot of video at bats and I want to see some ugly swings. Mm-hmm. Because an ugly swing that's productive, and it might be a base hit looper over the second baseman's head, shows me an ability to hit off time. And knowing that swing mechanics are rarely perfected because pitching is so hard, that innate ability to hit off time and or, as you say, just compete in the box is really, really important to us. And I think that's a trend we're going to see more of that it, it's not just, you know, it, a organization or B organization. I think it's going industry-wide. I think people are getting less accepted to strikeouts, right? Like it's going to trend back the other way that, yeah, we want you to hit a ball hard. We want you to be productive, but we don't want you to punch out 170 times, right? But one thing I I wanted to bring up that is more of a question than just that statement. You're talking about when the, the hitter being a cheetah and just being reactionary. I often ask hitters when they're going really well, Like, what are you thinking? The answer is always a simple one. Well, nothing. I'm just reacting. But when they're not going well, they have 19 things in their mind that they're analyzing in the box, which just paralyzes and makes this spiral worse. How do you get them out of that, that, that mindset of getting back to one very simple thought, maybe, versus the 20 that cloud your mind when you aren't going as well? So it always goes to... You can't convince them they're not mangled. The best ones I've coached will say, dude, I'm not right. I'm a mess. I'm like, okay. You know, and I think we've all been like, no, man, you actually, you're great, bro. And then you walk away like, oh, my God. You know, you're praying. Like, so I think you accept like, okay, yeah, you're right, man. You're off a little bit. But you know what, man? Like, you're still better than him. So what can we do? You can still get started on time with him right here, right? Lock in right here, like get something great to hit, man. Just be on time, dude. You got a shot. You know you do. You know, and we'll, and we'll get after it. Um, we'll break it down. And they know, like, we talk a, a, a strategy for everything. You know, hope is not a strategy. Pouting is not a strategy. Um, so, like, what is a strategy? Because you're going to be mangled, man. You're not going to feel right all the time. So what is a strategy during those moments? So we talk about that a lot, like just – Dude, get started on time. You're late. And this year that that was harder because even major league hitters will argue with me during the game when I had video during the game. This year they took it away. But, like, I'd say, dude, you're starting late, man, you know, and you're rushed. And they'll say, no shot. And I'll have to go back and pull it up and have a computer. I'm like, go back there and look at it. And they're like, oh. So it's always – it can, you can always go to that and give them a shot, you know, because we all know – you got your a swing going and you're not on time. It's wasted. We know that. Um, so that's where I always go to is and accepting like what percentage of at bats are you going to feel your best anyways? This is part of it. I'm going to turn the page here to something that Travis and I brought up in our last episode that you've, you've touched on of just developing athletes into becoming better baseball players of being an athlete first. And um, Travis and I talked in our last episode of how young kids, which Jace's developing baseball player, you said just turned eight, uh, have an uncanny ability to pick up these athletic movements when they have a wrestling or gymnastics background. And I used to tell you, it's like, I'm telling you, Andy, get your son in gymnastics. It's going to make him a better baseball player. You're like, Stoney, I just don't, 
I don't know if I can do it. Can I put him like Ninja Warrior class? And I said, no, put him in gymnastics. Can, can you hit on that of, of maybe how that, that improves uh, or what you saw with your own son in the development process? Yeah, I think if th- I'm fascinated with this, man, like ha- having kids and then witnessing it of what's happening. So we've talked a lot, you know, Travis, we talked about a lot of things that are like the, what are happening, but you have to kind of rewind it and see how we get there. There's an epidemic right now of we are competing too much too soon with kids. It, if we focus on the skill development early um, and, and man, like parents look at me like I'm, I've lost my mind because we're so competitive. Like parents are screaming during these eight-year-old baseball games and, you know, choke up. And I call them Little League homers, snowball fights, just awful 49 hot ground balls. And if a kid strikes out, it's like total failure. And it's like, that's, that's not true, man. Like we joke about it. I, my son, like not allowed to choke up, like hold it on the knob, get in your legs and bat tip and let this thing eat three times, bro. And we're going to Sonic after the game. That's it because we're trying to develop skills and you get looked at like you're crazy. Like he started pitching this year and they want him to go slow down the mound and throw strikes. I'm like, that's not what we do, son. Like I want you moving, you know? So you think about how that works we put these crutches in early because we're competing too soon. If I could transform you sports in baseball and basketball, cause I'm coaching basketball now. Um, and I love that too. I love it is we shouldn't be playing games or very rarely play games until I don't know the age, maybe, a, maybe 12, 11 kids in Dominican don't play a game until we sign them ever. There's not a baseball game they play. I mean, they, they just don't because they're only developing skills. That's it. So there's no cruxes put in. You know, they when they're 16, they play their first organized baseball game ever. Now, Venezuela has leagues. Mexico has leagues. But Dominican does not. Think about that. In basketball, my daughter, oldest daughter, uh, was tall. And I started noticing that other teams, we didn't win a game. My first year, I coached six-year-old basketball. And I told the assistant after the first game, I said, we have no chance to win one game. And he's like, I thought you're going to be competitive, man. And I said, well, my like competitiveness, like has zero to do with this six-year-old game. Like other teams would put their tall girl in the middle and lob the ball to her and have her score. And the other girls are standing around, you know, and I let every girl bring the ball up. I'm like, I want them to drill with their left hand. I want them to all touch it and shoot it. And they put cruxes in to win. And I'm like, we need to make decisions of what's important. And then, Travis, to to our conversation earlier, then when they become, you know, more developed and their skills are such a higher rate, we're not spending all that time on skill development when we should be like becoming great players, great competitors. So if you rewind it um, and it's, it's hard. It's hard as a parent. You feel peer pressure as my kid getting behind. And then you just go back and study the great players, man. Ask these guys that are superstars, what'd you do when you're nine? And they're like, I don't know. I didn't do that. I didn't play 120 games, you know? And, And we all know you get better in baseball by practice when you're younger, right? You don't get repetition in games. You don't. You get three ground balls and take five swings during the game where if you're, if you're practicing, you get the repetition and skill development you need. Yeah. I think, you know, one of those things like I, 
I get this conversation a lot too. And I think, you know, besides, besides like the, you know, the onus of like win now and like, let's diminish some of our ability to actually play this game to, you know, feed the one person. Let's, let's let this kid throw three games this weekend because he's a good pitcher and we're going to win this tournament, you know, not caring that the kid doesn't need to throw three games and, or we need to let these other kids develop their ability. But I think the other part of it goes to a lot of times is that I feel like I get a lot of parents that almost want to compare their nine-year-old to a big leaguer. And they're like, Oh, well, you know, my son, my son only threw, you know, 60% strikes, you know, he's got to throw more strikes. And I'm like, six, like at, at nine, he shouldn't even be throwing 60% strikes. I'm like, that's a, it's good that he did. But like, you know, to throw 60% strikes at that age, a lot of times those kids are throwing the ball slow. You know, a lot of times for the kids that come in, the parents that come in and like, Oh, you know, my kid didn't strike out at all last year. Didn't strike out one time. And my first question is how many extra base hits did they have? And it's like, well, you know, he doesn't really have, he doesn't, you know, he hits a lot of like, you know, ground balls through the infield. And I'm like, so like we're, we're putting this onus of like almost projecting onto these young kids, like that they're supposed to be able to do things that professional athletes get paid to do. And I was going to, I said, that's like taking your kid and saying, Hey, your kid's in school. So you know what? He should go ahead and run a fortune 500 company next week. Cause he's supposed to be getting smart in school. Right. So like, let's just throw him to the wolves. Like he should be able to do all this stuff now versus like, man, like your kid is just supposed to be learning how to learn. They're not even supposed to be like, like learning a specific life skill, even at this point, so you're just in youth, you're learning how to learn so that when you do get older, you, now that you know how to learn, now you go and say, now I'm going to be competitive or now I'm going to find the one thing or the couple things I'm going to be really, really smart at. And I think that's part of it too, is like, it's just projected like on these kids, like, you know, like, oh, you're not allowed to be a kid. Like you, you got to be able to do this and you got to be able to do that. And you're like, man, you're not even ready to do that. You're a kid. Like you can't even physically or mentally do that. And we're, we're kind of putting that on them sometimes, you know? Well, you guys live in this world. And you probably meet with parents, but like I've said, I've studied this, man. I've asked experts. I've asked the best players how their parents acted. And I think we have a responsibility to help educate parents on it or because there's no doubt, like they just want what's best for their kid, man. And, and they're going down this wrong path and then short-sighted because, and I, I see it with, with my son. I'm like, I've been told by very, smart people that say the the healthiest thing you can do for your son or daughter at the game is nothing is to sit there. You're not coaching, you know, from the stands and to say, I love to watch you play. That's it. That is so hard for parents to fathom. Like if he looks at me, I smile, give him a fist pump. And I always tell him before the game, like, you better hustle and play hard, bro. Better slide head first every base, whatever. And then afterwards, he's like, what would you think? He wants my approval. My dude, I love to watch you play. And then practice at home with him. And I, I see the parents, they're giving them instructions in the box. Get your hands up. Do this. I'm like, dude, you're giving this dude so much anxiety. You are not helping him. Right? Like, um, and it's, it's proven, you know, of the psychology of it. And I, I think there's two things. To have a chance, if you want best for your kid, you have to make sure they love it. Like, how do you feed that to them? Like, you know, dangle the carrot so they love it. So they keep coming back to play 
and they want more, right? And then develop skills. Like my son was in gymnastics, like Justin said. He goes, Daddy, I'm not going to gymnastics. I said, bro, give it a shot. Who make you an unbelievable baseball player, have an advantage. And then he went. And then I'm like, I called Justin like six months later. I said, Stoney, this dude can do like push-ups. And you should see, like, took his shirt off. It's like eight years old. It's like his core strength. And then I'm watching him like throw the ball, swing the bat. I'm like, it's real, man. Like this has helped you. And um, so who knows? And it's not, they're not, the other thing I've studied on this, I did my master's thesis on it, believe it or not, of um, youth uh, dropout versus success. And the, another mistake parents make, and uh, I catch myself doing it, we're all guilty of it, is we view them as an extension of ourselves. It's not true. I'm like, it's your life, bro. I'm like, you better make a good decision right here. It ain't my life. You know, I, like you're not an extension of me. Um, it, it's their life. It's not ours. And um, I think that's a very healthy place to get to when parents understand that. Um, you know, I think we can we can benefit the kids and we owe it to them. Yeah, I'm going to ask you two two more questions before we finish up here, Andy. And one of them, again, is, is about family. And I had it, my own instance where and I'm sure you've had it too. We grew up in small towns, all of us here on this call. And the big leagues was like, we watched that one game a week, the NBC game of the week. We collected baseball cards. We put these guys on pedestals. Could you imagine what it would be like if a big league guy came over to your house, rang the doorbell, and what you'd have done as a child? Well, I think back to my own daughter going to her first game, and I'm taking her there, and – uh, her mom was coming a little bit later and she says, well, is mom going to be able to find me? And I said, yeah, yeah, she'll be, she'll be at the game. You'll, you'll see her. She goes, well, where is she going to be sitting? I, I want to be able to find her. I said, well, probably just like behind the dugout. She thought she was playing at Wrigley field for her T-ball game. She had, cause that's the only thing she'd ever been to in baseball were major league stadiums with really good seats and, I said there was a stretch that my, my daughter was like in three different big league stadiums. It was on the jumbotron in all three, just because of her proximity to the field. Like this isn't normal. You're playing in a park district and there's actually no stands. There's no bleachers. Have you had any of those moments with your own son who I'm sure just loves major league baseball, but is probably not under the realization because he's so young that this isn't normal. Yeah. It's, um, I got a couple of good stories on that. I think I'll start off is I have a really well-known major league player actually come to my house this weekend to hit. Right. And I've told the kids like, Hey, so-and-so is coming over. And I'm thinking they have no idea that, you know, like, like the gravity of this. They're like, Oh, sweet. And he's like, they're like, is he going to come to my basketball game on Saturday? I'm like, no, <laughs> like, it's just normal. I'm like, they really can't come there because they might get, you know, might be a circus. But I think we were in Cincinnati and I was with the Cubs and, you know, my son loved all those Cubs guys. He was only like four at the time. And my daughter, um, I remember came home and said, hey, no, he was five. She's in kindergarten. My daughter come home and goes, hey, so-and-so thought Jace was lying to him, you know, like he's a compulsive liar because he was telling his buddy at recess that Javi Baez was his best friend. <laughs> and, and I come home, I'm like, hey, buddy, it's all right, man. Javi Baez is your best friend, right? He's like, yeah, me and Javi. And he has no idea what's going on. And I 
I tell Javi in the cage, rain delay one time, I'm like, hey, you know, big guy Jace got crushed, you know, I think he's a compulsive liar in kindergarten. And then I was FaceTiming Jace in the cage and Javi grabbed it, was like, hey, buddy, what's up, man? And like, it was so cool of Javi. And he's like, you tell your buddies whatever, and he's FaceTiming him. And Jace was like, I know, man, like, you know, like that was his best friend. Yeah, no big deal, right? So, you know, I'm so happy for him because I think it's healthy because he doesn't really put them up on a pedestal. But um, we've had some teachers ask my wife, like, hey, is this uh, what's going on here? <laughs> Telling this story. And he, he doesn't even think he's bragging. He just thinks it's part of his life. So that's yeah, pretty cool. That's great. My, my last question here, it's less of a question, more just like the experience. Um, you got to manage your first game this year in the big leagues. Well, not really. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was, uh, I got to crush our manager on this. Counts actually told him, you know, our bench coach had to miss some time and counts got thrown out just a hand three or four times. And every time it was like, we're down like seven or up seven. I'm like, counts. I'm like, I might just bring hater in this game next time you get thrown out. Cause I said, I'm tired of you. Like, I, I got to clean up these games when you get thrown out, man. I don't even get to manage. I'm just sitting over here. I want to bring Hader in the game, get him to win. So, um, there wasn't any managing going on, but, um, you know, that sounds surreal to even say that, right? I think we're all very fortunate. And, um, you know, being in a major league dugout for the competition is, it's everything you dreamed of and more. The fan part of it, or even knowing you're in the big leagues, to be honest, it, you don't even realize it until maybe after the game when you look up or you're walking out of the stadium because during the game, you're just so immersed in like what the competition is, you know, and you're with the guys, but still uh, pretty special. What would your 12 year old self look and say about that now when you're in Louisville and hitting off old man Zink's pitch machine for six hours a day? Probably say, why couldn't you have coached yourself better so you could <laughs> play longer instead of coaching at 23? <laughs> Ridiculous. Same in my shoes as well. Yeah, it's like, you know, you're a really bad player, but you're like coaching at 22. Most people are still playing when you're 22. Yeah. I, uh, I actually tell that uh, to players sometimes if I, I'm being sarcastic, I'm like, all right, you want to keep doing that? Now, this was back in rookie ball. I'm like, if you want to keep doing that, go ahead. You'll be coaching at 23, just like I was. So. <laughs> uh. Appreciate you being on here as well. No, and, cool, we, you guys we, didn't have... we didn't get a chance to talk about your Gary Railcats days with, with Travis. So there was a connection here with Travis as well as I believe uh, Randy Haynes was the third base coach and hitting coach, right? Randy Haynes. What? What are you talking about? Oh, in the paper? <laughs> I showed you the picture of the paper. Randy Haynes. Yeah. Hey, the thing about Kerber is Kerber was the victim of not having track man because I think like his track man, he probably would like pitch in the big leagues right out of independent ball. Because I remember it was just a bowling ball coming in there. Velo was like, what, 90 to 93? And just guys' bats were like recoiling. Uh, couldn't, strike, couldn't strike anybody out, though. That was the problem, right? So my strikeout numbers are low. So they're like, well, I was, I was pitching to the old uh, ground ball adage back back then yet. Or wasn't pitching up in the zone. That's when, when Willie Glenn was just dominating people because Willie would pitch in the top of the zone and just strike everybody out everybody out and I was like Willie why do you keep missing up he goes I'm not missing up I'm throwing up in the zone I'm like I've never heard of that that's crazy and he struck everybody out and now you look at it now and go well that guy was ahead of his time man he kind of figured some things out that I hadn't figured out yet yeah and one thing I'll say about Tra Travis you 41 here in a couple weeks is that right 
42 in 42. a couple So last year, Andy, uh, as we get closer to spring training, we have pitchers going versus hitters live. And most of these guys are, for the most part, like double A and above guys. So we have some, some really good players in there. But for one reason or another, we had one less pitcher one day. Travis gets up on the mound, throwing to a major league hitter, and Chuck's 91 off of the mound at 41 years old. It's like, dude, you're like Bartolo Colon. There can't be like five people on earth that are 40 years old or older throwing 90 miles an hour. That's true. And I think the thing that hurt Travis too, I think he was throwing 91 on that radar gun that was like five miles an hour slow. I think he was throwing like 96 on today's <laughs> Don't tell him that. Oh, Jesus. I've been thinking about that for like five more years now. He's going to be telling those people that, it, that Gary Railcat's hey. gun screwed his professional career. He deserves it, man. That was like, that was a squad. No, I mean, hey, but to go to that point, because we brought. To go to that point, because we brought this up earlier, I remember talking to Nathan Durst and saying, Nate, like, what do I got to do to get a shot to get out of here? And Nathan said, what is your role? Like, what are you? Because I'd done like mid-relief. I'd done closing. I'd been starting. And I said, I'll do whatever. And then he goes, he goes, well, what's your secondary pitch? I'm like, well, I mean, I throw a slider. He's like, is it, is it, a, is it an out pitch? Is it a good pitch? And I'm like, I mean, I get guys out, but not necessarily with that pitch. And it was one of those modes, too. Like, when I was in that mode, it was always, like, throw harder, locate the ball, I'll get a chance. And I wasn't that good of a pitcher, meaning, like, I think I threw three change-ups in five years in Gary. Three. And I might have thrown my slider for a strike 35% of the time. Now, I can locate my fastball, but the thing is, I wasn't – I wasn't – I was in a – I was in the, still the, the macho mindset of if I keep throwing harder, I'll get a chance. And honestly, yeah. like I tell people now, like, you know, once it's over, like I played as far as I should have for, for what, for where I was directing my, for where I was directing myself, I played as far as I should. I played as far as I was good, you know, and it, it hurts to say that as you get older, because you're like, this is your whole dream. You've had your whole life, but and I played as far as I was good. So that's how life goes. Well, it's circumstances too. I mean, nowadays, you know, teams, players are fortunate. They're evaluated like in a very sophisticated manner and there's models of performance type stuff. Right. So, um, you know, guys are found more in independent ball. And I, I joke, I said, yeah, I, you know, I manage one season in independent ball as a hitting coach. I'm like, there's big leaguers everywhere, man. I'm like, you'd be surprised you go through these independent leagues, you know, um, like you'll see a guy on the field that can, they can play in the big leagues. They just need opportunity. And, you know, and sometimes what's hard for us as players and fans don't know is coaches the same way, man. Like I've gotten opportunities. So fortunate. There's guys better than me in rookie ball that never got a shot to coach. Um, players, same way, right? There's plenty of players that just didn't get the opportunity. And that's what's hard in our game. Sometimes you can't dictate your own fate. That's, that's what makes it, I think, hard for all of us. Sometimes yeah, well said. timing plays such a role into that too. In circumstance. Yeah. Awesome. Having you on here. It's good to catch up. We, uh, we haven't got to talk hitting enough this off season. So this I know. do it a little bit. Um, show today brought to you by Hardy's and Robinson, where you can ride your bike up to the drive in and still get a ham and cheese or a quarter pounder. See us on Apple iTunes. Thank you. Producer Dan, put us on Spotify, check us out on YouTube. Anything else I'm missing? The the highlight of my day, 
was when I first got on the show and hearing Justin say, this show is brought to you by Hardy's of Robinson. <laughs>